I write this under an appreciable mental strain, as by the time you read these words I shall have been driven mad. Driven mad by the ineffable cyclopean and utterly eldritch vistas of horrible time that gape, by the vast, terrible deeps where black suns roll, and where things man was not meant to know. No, I'm not going to read the whole intro in Lovecraftian prose, but this episode is about the old gent of Providence. Noted horror writer Howard Phillips Lovecraft left an indelible mark on contemporary horror literature, and his work continues to be incredibly influential, even to those of us who might primarily know it from its influence on countless movies, games and artists. Lovecraft's work is also permeated by racism, perhaps more so than many other writers of his time. This element of his writing has been often discussed and dissected, and rightly so. As a Lovecraft fan myself, I do try to address both sides of the man and his work, both the inspirational and the problematic. But for this eldritch episode, I have decided to focus on Lovecraft's attitude towards the Irish. While it's not generally noted as being a particular hobby horse of his, I figured that his particular racial worldview would turn up some pretty weird ideas about the Irish and the Celts in particular. And I wasn't disappointed. I'm extremely delighted to introduce a very special guest for this episode, W. Scott Poole, Professor of History at the College of Charleston, who teaches and writes about horror and popular culture. His past books include the award-winning Monsters in America, and he is a Bram Stoker Award nominee for his critically acclaimed biography of H.P. Lovecraft, In the Mountains of Madness, which I highly recommend myself. His latest book is called Wasteland, The Great War and the Origins of Modern Horror, and we will talk about both of these books in the episode. But our starting point for the discussion about Lovecraft and the Celts is his 1921 story of ancient Irish rural horror, The Moon Bog. You're listening to White Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things. I'm Kean, and from here at the cabin in the woods, somewhere in Wild West Cork, I investigate tales of the strange, monsters, hauntings, and weird fiction. We're critical, not cynical here at the cabin, and we know that sometimes the real monsters aren't the ones with tentacles. Our beer for this episode is Kerry Lane, a fine ale from Cotton Ball Brewing here in Cork City. Grab yourself a brew and settle down for this episode, The Moon Bog, H.P. Lovecraft and the Irish. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. Of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. You're very welcome to the cabin and to this episode. Not too much to say at the beginning, just to let you know what's coming up. Uh, myself and Scott had a really fun, wide ranging conversation. We get, obviously, we talk about Lovecraft, we talk about his weird racial ideas and where the Irish figure into that. We end up talking about a whole range of other um, authors of weird fiction and the supernatural. There's a little Bram Stoker, a little Robert E. Howard, and a little Arthur Conan Doyle, all sorts of great things. So I really, really hope you enjoyed. It was a whole lot of fun to be able to talk to someone so knowledgeable about the material and about Lovecraft in particular. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with us to let us know what you think, and um, we are on Twitter, where we are at Strange Ireland, and we are on Instagram, where we are White Atlantic Weird Podcast. So we hope you enjoy the interview. Scott, it's absolutely fantastic to welcome you onto the show. Thanks uh, uh, so much. I'm I'm really delighted that you that you asked me, and um, you know, having already talked a little bit with you about some of the things that we're going to cover, I, I I think that your listeners are going to enjoy the 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 deep dive into some of the things about Lovecraft. I mean, there's all kinds of talk about Lovecraft and race these days, which you know is really really important. Um, and I assume we'll talk some about that, but there are also some things your listeners may not be aware of um, that uh, we'll, we'll get into today uh, about his attitudes about uh, race in general and, and, and his attitude about the Celtic identity uh, in particular, which is, uh, as we'll learn, extremely complicated. <laughs> Fantastic. Those are all things I am really excited to talk about. Um, if I may say, one of the reasons I, I'm particularly excited to have you on is that I, I really enjoyed 
um, your book In the Mountains of Madness, which I read, I think in 2017, it came yes, out 2016. That, that would have been sort of the year after it came out. Yeah, absolutely. And it was just a big influence on my thinking about the man himself. And I, I might have mentioned to you once that I read it during a very strange job I had in a very remote location. And it uh, <laughs> was just one of the things that got me through. So. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm, an emotional I'm connection. Glad, to, glad to hear that. Um, I have, uh, I, you know, that particular book, um, it, it, it's one of my sort of one or two favorite things that, that I have written, you know, in just in general, and uh, was very rewarding doing the research for it. Um, it, it it's been interesting, though, uh, and, you know, I, it, this is all gossip, so we don't need to get into this, but it, it's been very interesting because I was not you know, I wanted to write about Lovecraft. And as you know, if you've read the book, it is also about sort of the Lovecraft fan community, the role that uh, Lovecraft just plays in the lives of, uh, of individual fans. Um, and, and I was excited uh, to, be, to be, you know, obviously to be nominated for the Bram Stoker and, and all that. Um, I was also uh, a little bit shocked uh, at some of the negativity that I received um, for this, you know, sort of admittedly uh, revisionist look at, at Lovecraft's life that was really not so much written for, for people who were already fans that were sort of already part of the Lovecraft community. Um, but uh, I, I very, without giving any details or, or sharing any names, I, I very quickly learned that, uh, which I should have known already. I mean, I did know already that, you know, uh, talking about Lovecraft can be a kind of third rail uh, in uh, in discussions of of horror and and of popular culture. So that's uh, you know your listeners may email me for anecdotes. I'm not going to share them, but uh, but yeah, that was quite 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 a rewarding and and eye opening experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I personally I recommend the book for. Um, for all, all, all kinds of people, but if you're somebody who is aware of Lovecraft through sort of third third parties, if you know about him from video games or plush Cthulhu things, or you're a Metallica fan, or you're a role-playing <laughs> fan, but you've not, you're aware that he looms large in pop culture, but you don't know why, or you don't know what the what the original material is like. It's a great resource. It's a really accessible and yet thoughtful introduction to the man and and also to the to the sort of the culture that's built up around him, I think. Yeah, that, and that's definitely who it is for. One of the um, one of the uh, reasons that I had an idea for the book, other than my own, you know, long, long, long time interest in in Lovecraft, um, is the number of people I met, and and I give some examples of this in the book. The number of people I met that were really excited when they learned that I studied horror, horror film, kind of the idea of, of, of monsters and, and folklore and, and mass culture more generally. And, the, and they wanted to talk to me about H.P. Lovecraft. And, you know, they were, cl they were clearly fans. Um, some of them had H.P. Lovecraft tattoos, you know, tentacles and, and in some cases the man's face. Uh, but then, you know, as we would talk, I, I would discover that they had either not read Lovecraft at all, or, you know, they had read maybe Call of Cthulhu, um, maybe Shadow Over Innsmouth, um, that's about it, you know. Uh, and so it, it just, it, I was very interested in this idea and it was hard for me to think of another um, important, and I do think he is important, important literary figure from the 20th century who has had so much influence on popular culture and that also seemed to be so little read. You know, so, yeah. uh, so, you know, I'm not surprised when I see somebody with, I don't know, uh, a Franz Kafka t-shirt. Um, but people read Franz Kafka, you know, people read Kafka, you know, usually the fans of Kafka, there's, there's not any Kafka role-playing games out there. If there are, please tell me, you know, uh, about it. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be up for that. Uh, but, um, <laughs> 
but yeah, Lovecraft uh, interested me in large part for that reason, and and I absolutely wrote for that uh, for that audience, and 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 not for um, certainly not for the kind of generation that saw itself as kind of the gatekeepers of of Lovecraftiana. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think I think one of the themes running through the book might be that um, uh, like his influence on more contemporary stuff that younger people will be familiar with your Stephen King and and more contemporary stuff and, and, and seeing him in that in that milieu. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I mean, you know, he um, a lot of people might not realize, for example, that he, he was a huge influence on John Carpenter. Uh, John Carpenter's first interest in horror was actually reading a story I think we're going to talk about today, the, the rats in the walls, you know, and it scared him to death, you know, when he was a kid and he became kind of a lifelong uh, Lovecraft fan. You know? So, yeah. Absolutely. Shall we get to... The, the moon bog. So one, one, our, yeah. our main sort of thing I want to focus on today is one of his stories called The Moon Bog. Uh, the reason being, um, if there is an Irish connection to anything weird, I will try and find that and get in there. And he, <laughs> I don't think he wrote much about Ireland, but he did explicitly, at least on this one time. And I'm interested in this story and what it might mean for his ideas about, because he was a guy very much interested in, in the notion of race in, in the old fashioned sense. Um, I, I, I'm interested in your observations about uh, this story. So what would, what do we know about the moon bog, the writing of it and, and the kind of background behind it? Okay. So, um, you know, it's, it is generally been relegated to sort of one of the, the minor works of Lovecraft and, um, you know, I think that readers would both enjoy it very much on its own terms. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it on a, a recent reread when very much when uh, I knew that, um, you know, we were going to be talking about it. It's just, it's a very short little story. It's one, it's one of his, his shortest. Um, but it is very different from much of the rest of his work in that in many ways it's, it's a very traditional kind of revenge ghost tale, you know. Um, it is set in, in Ireland. Um, it is, uh, it was written originally not to be published, but um, for a 1921 gathering of a group of um, amateur journalists that he was involved in. Uh, one of the things you'll learn maybe too much about if you read my book is that Lovecraft kind of, um, his first social circle is these, uh, these people in the 1910s who became very interested in publishing amateur works, amateur newspapers, including their own fiction. So this was actually written for a St. Patrick's Day celebration in 1921 um, for uh, in for a gathering in Boston um, you know of, of this book so so you can picture uh, HPL uh, reading it aloud to the group and uh, he's got his top hat with glitter it says <laughs> happy St. Patrick's Day and he's drinking the green beer and kiss me I'm Irish yeah no, no, exactly. you, you might not have said that actually as we'll find out <laughs> maybe wearing his red socks hat since he was <laughs> that kind of thing but in any case so so it is the eventually published in in, uh, weird tales and um, you know you, um, I'm forgetting so you could fact check me on this but I believe 1926 maybe 1928 so within that within that decade it it does does appear and it didn't garner a lot of attention it hasn't got garnered a lot since um, I was actually going back through um, in the mountains of madness and thinking you know uh, Oh, oh gosh, I've got to talk about the moon bog and did I say anything about it at all? And uh, actually, I really, other than like in sort of my list and description of, of his stories that's in an appendix, I, I didn't go in it into it. Uh, S.T. Joshi, who is, you know, kind of the premier Lovecraft scholar who wrote the two volume, you know, magisterial <laughs> uh, biography of Lovecraft. Uh, he has only a really, really, really short little description of the moon bog and 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 is a is 
it is a, a, a bit dismissive of it. Uh, I, I would say maybe more dismissive than necessary um, because it's, it's, it's not Lovecraftian in the way that that term is used, but at the same time, um, it's just a, it, it's a, it's a great short story, you know, that, um, uh, that, that I, I think that shows something like a lot of his stories shows that there was a range there that went beyond, you know, the great old ones and a uh, terrible evil that, you know, is going to drive the main characters insane. And not that, not that terrible things don't happen to, you know, in the moon bog, uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not sort of his traditional uh, kind of story. And I think that's partially because it was an occasional, an occasional piece. And, and as a guy who had a very sort of a, a purist attitude about his work, uh -huh. this was one of the, one of the made to order sort of stories. So maybe that's why it doesn't have quite all of his, his usual quirks. I, I think that's true. Although, you know, I, I also have a general sense of, of his work that, you know, um, and I, I don't know that I would necessarily put the moon bog in the same category, but, you know, sometimes he did just really amazing stuff when he went off script. Um, I mean, um, uh, Herbert West reanimator is, is, is a great serial story as, as well as, you know, the Sturt, Sturt Gordon movie and the slockiness that everybody talks about with the Stuart Gordon movie and says, says, Oh, you know, that's not Lovecraft, et cetera. It absolutely is. In so many ways, it's a really good, uh, Victor LaVale, who, um, is, uh, a, 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 an American author that, that kind of writes in a Lovecraftian vein um, has said that, uh, you know, to him, the, the movie almost kind of perfectly captured um, the, the, the kind of, you know, B movie schlockiness that Lovecraft was having fun with and clearly was having fun with in that story. So, so I'm, you know, I always love, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned in the book that one of my favorite tales of his is also, uh, Hypnos is 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 really really different and is is a little bit poesque, uh, but also you know uh, it could be a story a modernized version of the Tales of Hoffman or something like that. So so you know yeah I, I wouldn't I I I I, I wouldn't want to just dismiss the Moon Bog, especially since it's been dismissed so frequently. No, already let, let's, let's be here to uh big it up and, and and encourage people to check it out it, as you've mentioned it's very short so anyone listening who feels like they might be interested do absolutely go away and read it and come back to us because we will be dishing out some spoilers so scott what is the basic plot for the moon bug so the basic idea is that uh there is a uh a, a sort of nouveau riche uh american who um, uses his enormous wealth to uh, buy essentially uh, a kind of ancient castle in uh, Kildare? Am I pronouncing that properly? Kildare, yes, yes. Sort of. Uh, <laughs> close <laughs> enough. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, and and so uh, being a nouveau riche American of the 1920s. Um, his first inclination is, wow, is there a bunch of wasted <laughs> land around here, particularly this bog. Like, why don't we dig up this bog so that we can get peat and I can use it and sell it and, you know, et cetera. Um, the, um, you know, sort of the stereotype of, you know, the, 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 the ugly American with money uh, abroad that, you know, is absolutely accurate. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, he, he cannot get anyone in uh, the, 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 you know, the, what uh, frankly Lovecraft portrays as sort of the primitive villagers uh, nearby to, to work for him. Uh, he does finally get a group of, of laborers who begin to, um, uh, you know, essentially excavate the bog, even though they're extremely, extremely nervous about this. 
then along comes his uh, uh, along comes our 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 unnamed, if I'm remembering correctly, our unnamed narrator who is who is friend to um, to our you know our rich uh, entrepreneurial um, bog digger upper, and uh, he um, you know he begins noticing um, that uh, the laborers. Um, are that he himself is having these strange dreams in which he's hearing this weird piping music, this weird piping sound, uh, which was a kind of a favorite um, kind of tonal idea that appears in a lot of Lovecraft stories, the weird piping at the center of the, you know, meaningless, <laughs> universe, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and then he, 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 the laborers are experiencing the same thing but then he also sees them overnight, you know, sort of dancing in this kind of dreamlike, uh, you know, kind of movements. Um, and without giving away too many spoilers, although I guess this is the big overarching spoiler that everybody can see coming, <laughs> is that, you know, by... Um, you know, through greed, selfishness, and you know, being American, uh, the, this 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 developer uh, has, which is essentially what he is, he has dug up um, some angry sort of chthonic spirits, some kind of fertility uh, spirits, and one of the odd things about the story um, that you know Lovecraft could have done. I think a more interesting job with if he had, you know, uh, just, I don't know, looked up some more Celtic, uh, deities and, you know, that kind of thing is that, you know, he references his own interest in the classics because like one of the screams that comes at the end, it's, you know, Diana and, uh, Demeter and, uh, you know, these other sort of classical figures are, in some fashion kind of rising uh for some reason that's i don't know how you feel about that i, I he lost me a little bit <laughs> there because i wasn't sure like you know i i don't know uh, i guess it depends on what people's relationship with you know greek mythology is but that just didn't you know that that didn't do it for me as far as being you know particularly particularly frightening but that's so so that's that's the basic story and um it's a lot like a tale that he wrote a lot better tale to be honest that he wrote called the rats in the walls um that also it sort of tells a story of an american in this case moving to england um and inheriting an ancestral mansion where he hears these odd noises uh, and I certainly don't want to give this one away, no. but um, there's a uh, th there there is a secret there that has a lot more to do with rats in the walls, and a lot more to do with what we maybe normally experience from Lovecraft than this kind of um, you know revenge ghost tale. You've um, you've you've literally dug into uh, a forbidden uh, a forbidden place. Did you notice like a lot in the Moonbog that fits into his sort of tropes and his ideas that he uses all the time? Um, you know, other than um, his unconscionable use of adjectives, uh, you know, like there, there is, I, I, th that was sort of the, I hate to say it, but that was sort of the most Lovecraftian part of the tale to me is like rather than setting an atmosphere that is uncanny he just tells us it's uncanny or uh even like describing a noise that is um you know the even the weird piping you know which has some really frightening possibilities with it he just goes ahead and tells us it's unnameable you know and and th this is something that you know he's sort of frequently guilty of in in his writing i think you know one of the ways i've always sort of um defended while at the same time kind of bashed i guess lovecraft's writing is that um you know what you get when you read lovecraft uh is you know other than you know um 
Joshi's sort of rediscovery of original manuscripts and footnoting that and, you know, uh, taking out material that was excised for magazines or later for Arkham House publishers. Um, but it, Lovecraft just never wanted to write a second draft and uh, he just sort of didn't edit uh, himself or really, really was open to letting others edit him. Like when he was done, he was, he was done, you know? And so to me, it is extraordinary that so many of the stories, including this one is, is so good um, when we're basically reading a rough draft. I think it's, it's a lot of fun and, Yes, the prose could be seen as overblown, but yeah, you know, like in Reanimator or like in The Hound, you know, mm-hmm. there's a bit, he might be just letting loose a little bit, having a little bit of fun, and it's quite enjoyable if you come at it. I think fr- with the right point of view. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a very very fun story. Actually, The Hound is a a, a, a really perfect uh, comparison because that's that's kind of another story that. You know, it doesn't really pick up on like a lot of the thematic elements that he'll explore, um, you know, later in in terms of what we think of as a Lovecraftian universe, sort of. Um, But 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 works great on its own, you know, just as a as a standalone. The Outsider is another example of just a story that, you know, is is. It's just so strange and so weird and and you know you can kind of see the ending coming but getting there is so much fun and um so so stories like that that are actually kind of you know shorter and i think maybe for some people who you know now that i think about it really for for a lot of people who 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 don't think in terms of a Lovecraft mythology, they, they might be a really good entrance point. For I had a friend who, who was taught the, the outsider in school. Maybe it was just a particularly open-minded teacher. I, I don't know. I must find out. But <laughs> thinking about um, it now, it strikes me as. Well, no, yeah, it makes sense. And it, it's funny that you, um, that you mentioned that because, um, Apparently, it has a reputation for being taught uh, in schools outside of the United States. And the reason that I know this is it's actually the first Lovecraft story that Guillermo del Toro came in contact with. And it was in like a school textbook, Um, you know, so he reads The Outsider. And, you know, this is one of the things that helps create Guillermo del Toro, right? You know, um, so, so yeah, I don't know that that bears more investigation. Like, you know, we, we certainly didn't read it in high school in America, but you know, it seems like in other places that's, that's the second or third story of, of that, that I've, I've learned. And just to get back to the moon bog for a moment, I went into this being really interested. I, I wonder what use he's going to make of, you know, Celtic mythology. And he kind of, as far as I can tell, he, he mostly sidesteps it. And maybe I shouldn't have been surprised as he was massively in, into classical mythology. Yeah. He goes almost entirely for the classical here. A lot of the, the source of the weirdness within the bog, he, you know, he's hinting, has got something to do with some, some mystical, ancient, uh, classical Greek society. And his, his kind of point of origin for this is the, the Book of Invasions, which is a real yeah. life historical documents. It's a medieval pseudo-historical, pseudo-mythological um, piece of work. It's, it's very famous here in Ireland. It's also the name of an amazing Horse Lips album, if you like prog rock. <laughs> and um, it, that was really interesting to me because he sidestepped what I was expecting, but he is taking it from, from an actual historical source, which you know is yeah. like the medieval Christians trying to rewrite Irish history to link us directly to ancient classical stuff and ancient Christian stuff. Yeah, it, you know, it's actually a, a book that is, or a, a, a document that, that is a lot like uh, sort of the Snorri Sturluson uh, retelling of the Nordic uh, myths that we don't really know if it's that close or not because he sort of Christianizes, you know, it's a, it's, it is a, it's a post-Christian rendering of, of their, you know, of their mythology. So that, you know, 
Loki acts a lot like the devil uh, and may not, you know, originally. But that, yeah, I think that, that, that that's a, that's a good, that's a really good point. Um, I don't know that he just, you know, I think part of it is he just, on the one hand, it's a story written on a lark and for a special occasion uh, combined with, um, you know, I, I, I just don't think that he, he knew a great deal about, uh, Celtic history, Celtic mythology, his conception of it um, really has to do with, I guess, some of the other things that we're going to talk about in terms of his ideas about race. Well, well, let's get to that, because again, in the story, he, he doesn't say much at all about the locals. As you mentioned, they're That's sort right. of like these poor villagers who look up to the local lord, but he doesn't use any of the kind of adjectives that he usually does when he's talking about, you know, indigenous groups of people so what, what do we know about his attitude towards the Celts, the Gaels, and, and how were they different to him than the Anglo-Saxons and everybody else? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a really odd part of kind of his, um, you know, r racist uh, mythology of the world, his racist reading of the world. Um, I think one of the things that's important to understand about Lovecraft is that, um, I think, and I think this is true in talking about racism in general. Um, this was not, you know, when, when you hear critics talk about this, when we talk about like why the, you know, why the World Fantasy Award was changed from his visage and, and that kind of thing. Um, it wasn't a matter of personal prejudice sort of with him it was a very systemic view of history to the point that you know he really believed that race was kind of the engine that drove history his interpretation of history was entirely racialized now what's interesting <laughs> is that a lot of that he borrows from 19th century uh, American pseudoscience, actually sort of the origins of, of American uh, anthropology. It's actually called the American School of Anthropology that engaged in things like craniometry, uh, that is measuring the skulls of uh, different groups to essentially prove that um, Anglo-Saxons uh, were at the at the apex, you know, and and much of that also put um, put the Irish somewhere. You know, if you read the work of Louis Agassiz, who's a Harvard anthropologist in the nineteenth century, and in his idea of kind of racial hierarchy. Um, the Irish are somewhere between Africans, who of course he puts at the bottom, um, and sort of the perfect Anglo-Saxon ideal. Now, Lovecraft doesn't follow along with that, and particularly, and I'll, I'll uh, recommend to people who want to follow this uh, further, so this is a published edition. It's actually in two volumes of his correspondence with Robert E. Howard, um, best known as um, the creator of Conan the Barbarian, a fellow Weird Tales writer. And, you know, it, it, it's very interesting because, um, you know, Lovecraft does not seem to take the 19th century American view he does not have in these conversations the very negative things to say um, about um, uh, the Celts or um, the American Irish. I'll say more about that in a moment than, you know, the Italians and the Jews. And, um, you know, his, uh, his suggestion, for example, that you know, he has a, to give one example, he has a conversation with Howard in which he sort of says, I wonder what happened to the Italians and how they degenerated into a Mediterranean type when, when their origins are Aryan. And he does use the word Aryan. Um, so, um, you know, he saw sort of ancient Celt culture. And so by ancient Celt culture, he would have meant, um, you know, 
third century BCE, second century BCE into the era when Julius Caesar and the Romans in general come in contact with both the Celts and the Picts, which he kind of uses interchangeably, actually, as, as racial groups. And so one of the odd things about it, and one of the things that comes out in his conversation with Howard, is that on the one hand, he is describing these people peoples as barbarians, but they are Nordic slash Aryan, and that is his own phrasing. He actually liked the phrase Nordic better than Anglo-Saxon. So, you know, we get from that this idea that, well, they're kind of outside the bounds of the civilized. They're not Romans, which, you know, Lovecraft thought, you know, the Romans were kind of the apex of culture at that time. Um, but they're, you know, they're, they're hardy sorts that are on their way to becoming, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon. Rugged individualists, one might almost say. Rugged, rugged individualists. Um, there's actually, um, let's see if I can find where I marked this uh, really quickly. Uh, yeah, uh, here it is. So, um, oh yeah, so so this is this is a letter uh, to uh, Howard in uh, uh, 1934, and he's talking about um, the way in which um, the, the Celts, even though they're barbaric, they have, and, and have the freedom to override the weak, kill and burn and torture. This still shows that they are, that, um, once they have surpassed their barbarism, uh, they will become a strong, a strong and civilized race. So, so <laughs> yeah. Lovecraft had had respect so for the for the Romans for being quote unquote civilized, but um, am I right in suggesting Howard had a like the word barbarian meant something very specific to Howard, and he had slightly different sympathies? That's absolutely that just in the sense that um, so for him um, the idea of as long as they were Nordic. And so this is why he has such good conversations with, with Howard, who's, you know, you know, very much into, to barbarism, Conan the Barbarian, right? You know, as kind of this overman, this kind of Superman kind of figure. Um, it, it's as if, you know, for him, the Gauls, the Picts, the Celts, um, were these strong races overriding the weak races, um, and of course, you know, th this is all the language of fascism, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the, the celebration yeah. of violence, the celebration of strength. And so I think that it's almost as if um, his, his lack of prejudice directed ag against the American Irish, as, as he tended to do against other kinds of immigrants, it's almost as if it comes from a bad place <laughs> that, 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 that he has the sense, well, they're okay because they have this extremely brutal past in which they were able to kind of, you know, triumph over, over the week. So for example, uh, one of the things I was going to mention, you know, in our discussion is, you know, the one character in his work, um, that is a, a major Irish-American character is uh, Thomas Malone, who is this kind of stereotypical uh, New York Irish cop uh, detective. You know, he's very much playing into kind of hard-boiled, hard-case crime, you know, stories at that time. But, um, you know, in describing him at the very beginning of the story, um, he calls him a tall, heavily built uh, and wholesome looking man, <laughs> which, you know, for, for Lovecraft, he was always, um, you know, any reader of Lovecraft knows that he uses this, you know, he, he really, uh, bring, he, he brings his language of horror 
to any racial group, including in this story, any racialized group um, that are any group that he wants to racialize in a specific way. And so, you know, Malone, who a lot of scholars say is actually, you know, he wasn't known for writing great characters, but, um, you know, Malone is in some ways kind of his most realized character. And, and, and he is, uh, he is an Irish, Irish American. And interesting that he occurs in a story which is probably most infamous for, you know, more problematic interpretations of groups of people. That's absolutely true. Um, it's, it is one of the stories that, that kind of, that absolutely gives the lie to um, the interpretation that, well, Lovecraft may have held these ideas, you know, but they did not express itself in his fiction. Um, I, I find that claim, which some major Lovecraft scholars have made, just absolutely extraordinary because um, there are um, invidious and, and malicious descriptions of uh, African-Americans in the story of uh, people of, uh, of Middle Eastern descent. Um, you know, um, he, he, he even takes a, just a, not only Arabs, he, he takes a random swipe at, at, at Persians at, at, yeah, <laughs> at one Dutch point. people and Spanish people, anybody, really. It, yeah, uh, the Spanish as well, you know, he talks about he has this, like, sort of Spanish mixed race character that we're supposed to be afraid of because they're both Spanish and, um, and biracial. So it, it, it is, I think you make a really, uh, really, really good point that, you know, that character appears in, you know, kind of one of the, um, you know, red flag stories that you would point to in, in terms of his, his racism. In, in as much as it's it's might be true to say that, I mean, a lot of people from past times who were artists or writers, you know, a, a good chunk of them will have ideas about things that we now find problematic. And yet, it, when it comes when it comes to Lovecraft and Howard as well, is is there something like is, is the racism more baked into their their world building than most that we, we feel the need to always discuss it and it, it can't be avoided. Yeah, I, you know, I think for me, that's the issue. It, it's not, it's not their personal attitudes. Um, it's a combination with Lovecraft in particular. It's a combination of how sort of systemic his thought was about race, that it wasn't like he was expressing a occasional, you know, casual, uh, uh, you know, I, I, idea. I mean, there's, um, you know, th there's a number of writers that we love that, you know, I mean, I enjoy reading Arthur Conan Doyle. I don't want to go back and talk to him in time and talk to him about what he thought about, you know, people of African descent. I, you know, I'm sure it would be horrible. Um, but, you know, um, if if it is, as you well put it, sort of baked into the stories, to me, that is, that's a very different matter. Um, it certainly doesn't mean that we don't read them. Uh, in fact, I think that, you know, one of the interesting things that has been missed or that was missed in the United States and the controversy over Lovecraft is that many of those who were, um, who were calling for a, not all, but many of those who were calling for a change in the World Fantasy Award, for example, and, and taking his image off of it, uh, were also saying, you know, we're not suggesting Lovecraft did not have influence. We're not, it's certainly not suggesting he shouldn't be read. Um, you know, one or two scholars that I mentioned in the book, or, or actually science fiction writers that I mentioned in the book said, look, I teach writing classes in which I teach, you know, Lovecraft. You know, this is not, this is not censorship. This is placing him in his historical context and in effect understanding, you know, more about him, you know. And that's one of my favorite elements of your book and, and one of the reasons why I'm, I'm more than happy to recommend it to, to listeners. It, it, it explains why we still read him, why we still enjoy him, but it, does, it doesn't look away from, from that side of it too and, and, and tackles it head on. 
which yeah. I think is, is the right and good thing to do. Yeah, and and you know I I, I mentioned uh, Victor Lavelle's uh, work, and um, you know uh, so so Victor's an, an African American writer who has essentially written you know riffs on Lovecraft, the the Ballad of Black Tom, and that particular book is dedicated uh, to H. P. Lovecraft. Um, you know, with a line something along with a, something to the effect of. Um, you know, with, with all of his complications. Uh, and, and that's because for Laval, you know, he, he started out as someone who, as a teenager, who loved horror stories, who read Lovecraft, and then kind of gets shocked years later that he kind of missed all of that and that it was about him, you know? And so had to come to terms with that. And I think, you know, the important part of that story and illustration is that he did come to terms with it, you know, um, and absolutely understands that Lovecraft was a racist who, who would be angry that, 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 that he was even a fan, you know, probably, you know, so. I grew up reading Arthur Conan Doyle too, and, and I love The Lost World, but I reread it recently and his attitude towards the Irish is, is really strange and, yeah. Oh, I bet it is. I actually didn't think about that. Yeah, because of his particular um, Malone, background. I think. Yeah, he had an Irish background, and his the main character in the Lost World is Malone, and the book constantly talks about his quote unquote, you know, Celtic temperament, and it's, it's right. not entirely negative, but it's very stereotyped all the same. Yeah, um, and you know, uh, I guess actually Bram Stoker is another good example because you know he has this again, you know, what's sometimes called the Anglo-Irish uh, background, and and he, you know, um, well, there there've been a hundred articles written about his attitudes, not only about you know other uh, other groups, but but the Irish as well, right? his i've done entire episodes about his attitude towards being i don't know what to think anymore every every time <laughs> every time yeah, i think i have it somebody that. writes a, a, a refutation paper so he's such an interest such a strange character and what he what he means it's so symbolic as to whether i think because he he was seen as so anglo-irish and because his main novels take place in london and have this very anglo-centric view of things you know, grandstand certain kinds of artists over others, and not always, and, and not in every situation. But there were some we were more comfortable with than others. I think that's the impression I get as a, as a non-expert. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, just out of curiosity, and like, <clears throat> I'm not going to start interviewing you suddenly, but <laughs> but you know, I I actually don't know a great deal myself about um, the, you know, L Lovecraft's reputation in Ireland, the degree to which he's read. I know there's a, I, I, you know, I just know from social media and, 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 you know, uh, I, 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 I somehow have, please don't want to hold this against me. I've somehow built some kind of Northern Ireland fan base. Uh, there, there's nothing about my politics that, <laughs> there's nothing about my politics that has led to that it's just that uh there's, there's a lot of people actually studying gothic history and and, and other uh, other matters um so I, i'm just curious you know what the um i'm yeah i mean i i see it primarily Catholic, by the way i just want to add <laughs> I, I primarily see it in the in, in the fan the sort of fanboy circuits, you know, people who are interested in RPGs and card games and stuff like that. I think okay. that's, and, and video games. I think that's where a lot of it is coming from originally. I myself, I, I, I think I came across them because when I was a kid, I used to read a lot of Ray Bradbury and that's just what was available in the library. And Bradbury sure. mentions him a couple of times. Sure. And, and I think that's where I came across it. And um, to, to start to move towards the end, if, for somebody who's listening and is intrigued and interested, what would be, I, I'm going to recommend your book absolutely for, a, you know, a lifetime of, of the man himself and his importance. But uh, what pieces should people turn to that are kind of accessible and kind of give a flavor of why he's, he's so, so popular still? Yeah, well, so my uh, suggestion for starting out um, is actually not uh, The Call of Cthulhu. 
Um, I think that's a good second read or third read. Um, because of the sheer number of RPG and computer and console games that mention Cthulhu or actually simply entitled <laughs> The Call of Cthulhu, there's a sense that that's the place to start. Um, I think Shadow Over Innsmouth is kind of a, a, a much better story, particularly for people, um, for particularly for people with something of a literary nonfiction background. Um, you know, I think for people, you know, whose background has mainly been reading horror, you know, as well. But I can see someone going to Call of Cthulhu and, and um, while some would love it uh, be, uh, because of all the reasons there is to love it, um, some would also come away with, you know, a sense of, well, you know, does it, do, do, does Lovecraft always have such incredible plot holes in it? You know, <laughs> excuse me, does, does he, you know, do, do, does he build up this terrifying monster to then have it popped by a boat? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these other things, um, but Shadow Over Innsmouth, I just think is, um, if I had to pick his most accomplished story, I, I, I think that that's, that's where I would go. And then um, I, I, I think uh, uh, some of the shorter pieces uh, that we've talked about today uh, that give kind of a, a, a broad sense of where he went, Hypnos, uh, which I think is a great tale, uh, will remind some people a little bit of, of Poe. Uh, people claim that Lovecraft was extremely influenced by Poe. I don't really think so, but this particular story is, uh, well, Lovecraft claimed he was, is the reason that's claimed. But this is the, you know, Hypnos is probably the one, you know, most close to it. Um, and then just some of the, the really strange uh, short stuff, like... Um, and, you know, I'm not going to attempt to spell it, and my pronunciation is going to be wrong, too, but Nirolathotep, um, it's it just an odd uh, prose poem um, that feels actually, for those uh, who might be listening that, you know, are, are, you know, kind of into, you know, literary works beyond horror, it, it's actually going to remind you very much, and, and I think it is, uh, uh, a kind of response to T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, um, which Lovecraft was obsessed with and was obsessed with T.S. Eliot and hated T.S. Eliot and loved T.S. Eliot and uh, could never get over T.S. Eliot in one way or another. And so it's a it's an interesting like horror response to a poem that in and of itself is is pretty horrific. Fantastic. Yeah. Great recommendations. And I will mention lastly, your latest book, which I've got here. It's called Wasteland. It's uh, the subtitle, The Great War and the Origins of Modern Horror. So it's, it's about how the First World War influenced uh, what we now call horror. Would you like to say a little bit about that as well? Because my, my copy has just arrived recently. I'm making my way through it. It's great. Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, just uh, I, I will very briefly. So um, it is about the ways in which what we think of as horror today um, and, and all of the links back to uh, the Great War um, and then sort of the, the period that the Great War creates. And so one of the things that the book looks at on the cultural side is just the sheer number of veterans, uh, particularly French and, and, and German veterans, who really made the first modern horror films, not the first supernatural films, but the first films where there are some of the recognizable themes that we know in horror today, body horror, um, uh, you know, ritualistic horror, some elements of kind of folk horror, um, you know, the reason the carnival is scary uh, comes out of, <laughs> comes out of this, this particular period. And, it, and it's a very, um, it's a very biographical approach that, um, you know, follows some select characters, including H.P. Lovecraft. You want even more Lovecraft. Uh, one of the things that um, I, one of the things I did in Wasteland is some of the material that kind of just didn't really quite fit in, in the biography 
um, is in Wasteland and has to do with something that I don't think has been noticed enough, and, and that's just how much World War I influenced him. Um, he, he sort of tried and failed uh, to join the American Army in 1917, um, and... Um, Basically, his mother kept him from doing it, but but uh, but, but 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 you know, th three or four of his best-known stories, uh, actually including Herbert West Reanimator, are in, at least in part World War One tales. Uh, one of his most influential stories, Dagon, depends on on the Great War. Uh, a story called The Temple, which is actually told from the um, uh, from the perspective of a, of a, of a German U-boat um, captain, um, all of these. And, and one of the interesting things I think that fans who maybe haven't read Lovecraft yet is that um, I'm, I'm still on a search for a um, Lovecraft video game in which the protagonist is not a uh, disillusioned World War One veteran uh, who has become a private detective and is on heroin and uh, you know etc etc et et like it seems like this is um, well it 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 it, I, it was so extraordinary to see uh, some games come out like the Sinking City for example and the new version of Call of Cthulhu and you know they're both American protagonists but like. One had to be in the had, had been a member of the Lost Platoon, and oh, you know had it had it on his cigarette lighter and was traumatized because of that, <laughs> etc. And the the other had been in the American Navy and had like lost his whole command to a to an undersea boat uh, attack. And so it, it it in an interesting way, I think that's a callback to some of the things that influenced um, influenced Lovecraft's um, worldview and and his stories. That's amazing. I'll put links to your books in the show notes, folks, so that you can you can go and check them out. Is there anything else you're working on you'd like us to know about, or where can people find you online? Oh, yeah. Uh, so actually, I would love for people to, and, and they can find uh, a little bit about, I don't want to give too much away, I am working on a, a new project. Um, but um, I, if, if you'll look me up on Twitter, uh, at Monsters America, uh, at Monsters America, uh, then that would be great, uh, because uh, now and again, I throw out um, some hints about um, what, uh, what my current project is, and um, that, that, that's going to be coming out in, in probably about a, a, a year and a half, I hope, depending on how things go with me and in general, um, you know, it's probably going to be a, a, a late, um, maybe a late 2022 book. Well, finally, have you, have you ever been to Ireland for any reason? I have not. Uh, I actually have, you know, it's odd. I've actually traveled significant, partially because of research, partially because of my own interests. I've traveled more in Eastern Europe, um, than I have in, well, um, frankly, some of the traditional places that, uh, that, that Americans go. So uh, I'm afraid that my, um, my uh, has, has been limited to, uh, has been limited to London. Um, you know, I, I keep uh, hoping though that, that friends will invite me and give me a place to stay. So, um, you know, follow me on Twitter and, Tell me to come over and give a talk, and uh, once we're all able to travel again, uh, I will. I will definitely be there. Well, the gauntlet has been thrown down. We'll have to see if we can we can make that. <laughs> a few, few festivals and things here that we know about. So maybe maybe we can make something happen. Listen, thank you so much for talking with us. And um, this is great. Yeah, thank you. I know it's a really tough time for for anybody in academia at the moment, and it's it's a year unlike any other. So I really appreciate the time. And I'm sure we could say a lot about the old gent of Providence, but <laughs> it'll have to wait for another day. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you.
Hi folks, Keen here again. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Just a few quick wrap-up notes if you want to get in touch with us once again. We are on Twitter where we are at Strange Ireland. We are on Instagram where we are Wide Atlantic Weird Podcast. Please send the episode to anyone who you think might like it. Please subscribe wherever it is that you listen. Please leave reviews, all that usual stuff, all that good stuff. And get in touch with us for any recommendations, ideas for episodes or anything like that. Next week, I'm thinking we're going to stick with the weird fiction genre. We're going to, all things going well anyway, I'm going to do a little chat about Arthur Mackin, who's a really important and influential writer from a little bit earlier than Lovecraft, but sort of along the same vein. And then the week after that, coming up towards Halloween, we are hopefully going to be doing our long-awaited Borley Rectory episode and launching Patreon on that day as well. So there will be some special bonus stuff hopefully coming out at that time. So until then, stay safe and thanks for listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body.